Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, hello, everybody. Good morning to you, too. It's good to be here with you today. Uh, Can you believe we're almost through July already? How many feel like your life is flying by, but it's been flying by for decades now? Yeah, amen to that one. It goes by so fast. Um, we had a real good time uh, yesterday in men's ministry. We went out shooting those clay pigeons and stuff like that. I had to be almost the worst person out there, okay? I think out of, I think 36 shots, I hit three, wasn't it? I hit three shots out of 36. But I did hit a double. Amen to that one right there. That re- right, Tim? I, that redeemed me right there. That, once I hit the double, I knew I still had the anointing of God on me, you know? <laughs> Up until that point, I was getting worried about that. And my shoulder does hurt this morning. I shower and go, man, I'm not used to that kind of stuff. But I'm only when I read a lot of Leviticus does my shoulder hurt like that. But nobody got that joke. Okay, we got it. Okay, so, well, today we're going to continue in our series on Joseph. This week, next week, and we're, and we're done with Joseph. Hopefully you've learned, and hopefully you're enjoying, enjoying the life of Joseph. Any, any, amen to that one? You're enjoying that one? Because I'm enjoying it, too. I just, I love the story. And by the way, um, how many have ever seen the movie Holes? Ever seen the movie Holes? After I saw that movie uh, for the first time years ago, I thought, that is exactly the story of Joseph. They stole that from the Bible. So next time you watch the movie Holes, tell me if that's not the story of Joseph. It is totally the story of Joseph. And so they take a lot of these things from Scripture, they adapt them in different ways in movies. They don't know they're taking the story, but it's the same story as Joseph. Now, today I want to talk about there's gold in you. And you'll see what I mean as I progress. So let me give you an illustration of something that happened recently, and then I'll explain to you where we're going today. Um, I read recently that there was a shipment that landed in LAX of 2,000 gold bars. Anybody read about that recently? Nobody read that? Okay. 2,000 gold bars. Each bar of gold worth $56,000. Now, the handlers or whoever it was, high security people, whatever, as they were transporting whatever, because it still had to go from LAX to a Canadian bank, one of these handlers decided he was going to steal some gold. He takes four bars. He gives two bars to relatives. Two other bars he buries in his backyard. Now, guys, when it comes to transporting gold, do you think they keep really good records of what's there? Of course they do. And the guy gets caught. And, of course, they get the gold back, and he has to go to jail for one year of his life. Now, as I read that story, knowing that I was going to talk about this in Joseph, you know, I, I realized, you know, the reason why I took it was because it is what? It's gold. It's, a, it's worth, it's got a lot of value to it. If it had been bars of concrete, he probably would have never stole it, right? They would have paid him to take the concrete off their hands. But it's gold. And gold has value. And remember, he buries two bars in his yard. Now remember that. Now hold those thoughts right there because there's gold in every one of us. Here's what we're going to do today. I'm going to take you in point one, point two. In the story, you can turn to Genesis 41. Point one, point two. 
And we're going to give you the quick literal, and then I'm going to give you the spiritual application of those things because they are the foundation for point three. After we finish point two, then I'm going to take you, I'm going to do something I do not do on Sunday mornings. I'm going to, I'm going to dance. No, I'm not going to dance. I'm going to take you through 24 verses of chapter 42, and I'm going to do commentary on those verses because we got to fill in the big blank on the story of Joseph, and it's, it's a great, great it's not a story. It's recorded history, my friends. And so that'll help us to leapfrog into point three, and we're going to come back to the gold again that, it's, that we're going to talk about later on in the story. Sound like a plan? Okay, good. Now, let me, let me do something here. Let me review. Joseph, at this point, he has spent, um, uh, he spent uh, what is it, 13, uh, 13 years in, in prison prison as a slave then in prison he gets out because he interprets pharaoh's dream he goes from the prison to the palace in a moment because he interprets the dream of pharaoh and uh, now he's prime minister of all of egypt he is the one who's dispensing of all the grain in this worldwide famine at the time the dream that he interprets there are seven years of abundance abundance in other words bumper crops all kinds of grain and during that time, do you remember last week, Joseph's advice to Pharaoh was to live on 80% and to put away 20%. How many remember that? That's a good way to live, my friends. Now, so he does that because he says, then there'll be seven years of famine. Seven years, and remember they're agricultural. It'll be drought. There'll be no water. There'll be no crops. Now, can I give you a sidebar on that that has nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about today? Anybody okay with that? Yes or no? I just got to know. Okay, because I was going to leave right now. You didn't say it. Now, okay. So think about this. This is like 1,900 years ago. And it's a true story. Joseph, seven years of abundance. Lots of rain. Lots of crop. Then seven years, no rain, crops very little of, it's drought. Huh, that's interesting to me. Because not only in Joseph's life does that happen, you back up to his dad Jacob, his dad Isaac, his dad Abraham. In Abraham's lifetime, Abraham has to go to Egypt because there's a massive drought at the time. Anyone remember that part? You have two droughts in that time frame there. Now, isn't that climate change back then? Yes or no? Now, let me explain it, because before you, you get on me thinking where I'm going, I'm going to go a different way than you think, okay? Um, okay, this is my sidebar. It has nothing to do with what I'm talking about today. But you think about that, and they had climate change back then. And then it would go from lots to little, lots of... that had those things back then. Now, I'm a Bible guy. So I have a biblical worldview. I don't look at it like the secularists do. I look at it from according to the scriptures on climate change. Amen? Amen to that one? So with that said, do I believe in climate change? Yes, but not how they say it. The reason we have climate change is from the original climate change that was cataclysmic, and that is Noah's flood, correct? Yes. Noah's flood changed everything on this planet. It said the world that once was is no more 
So they had this consistent climate back then and then through Noah's flood. And Noah's flood caused so much to happen. The mountains rose, the valleys sunk, the, the land masses split apart from Pangaea and they split apart. You've got to imagine volcanoes going off. There's all kinds of cloud in the atmosphere. Not a lot of sun, gets cold, ice age. Everything is changing. Everything is changing, guys. And that's just a little snapshot of what a scientist who believes in the true ways of scripture could tell you what happened at that time. And so all this climate change is going on, cataclysmic in the past. And, and, and so since that time, has there been climate change? Yes, it goes off and on, this and that, but not the way they say now. Now they say, what they're saying in the secular world is that it's, uni, I think it's uniformitarianism, is that, am I right on that one? That the processes have been consistent all the time, all the time, very slow, and now in our lifetime now, oh my gosh, it's getting hotter, and it's been like uniform the whole way. It's got to be a reason why it's happening right now, and that is us, and that is fossil fuels that we're burning in our cars. You've heard that one, right? Right? So here's my question. Joseph has experienced climate change. His great-great-grandfather, Abraham, experienced climate change. Did they have cars back then? No. Were they burning fossil fuels back then? Were they, did they have coal-burning factories back then? None of that stuff. And yet they have climate change back then. And so now we see this uniformitarianism is not a true thing. How many have heard this statement? In 11, 12 years, if we don't change things, we'll all be dead. How many have heard that one right there? Now, wait, I'm older now, so you younger people listen to an old guy, okay? And us older people know this. They'll always use scary tactics to get your vote. Any amens on that? That's just what, what they do. It's like, it works. Why not use it? It works. And so they use scary tactics to scare people. And if you vote for me, man, I'm going to fix the problem. Can't fix anything. Because that's a, it's a made-up crisis. Now, now, can I show you what God says about climate change? No, can I? So you never have to worry about what they're saying up there. Because how many know a biblical worldview is the right worldview? Okay, it's not, it's not in your notes, but keep your marker here in, in Genesis 41 and go to Genesis chapter 8. Doing good so far? So far? Because I do this just for your wife. That's what I'm doing. Because she likes this kind of stuff. At least that's what she tells me. Okay, now watch this. Genesis chapter 8. This is not planned. I thought, I'm just going to share this. Look at Genesis 8, 21 and 22. This is after the flood of Noah. Everything stopped now. 40 days, 40 nights of water from above. The mountains, I mean, the, the ground broke open and all the floodgates come and the volcanoes, everything else. They spent one year in the ark. Now they're com coming out of that thing. And here's what God says in verse 21, 22. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma. And by the way, before you say, ah, Noah's flood, there's no evidence of cataclysmic change. Really? Then why do they find plant life under the Sahara Desert? Really? Then why do they find redwood forests underneath the ice of Antarctica? Why do they find that? That's evidence of Noah's flood, my friends. A cataclysmic event happened that changed the climate of planet Earth. And there's more and more and more on those things. Why do they find fish with their mouth open swallowing another fish? And they're frozen that moment because it was so fast. It was so quick. The mud and the rain and the water was coming so fast. Killed them instantly. Froze them in that position. Why do they find so much like that? Tell you why. Noah's flood. Noah's flood. Now, watch verse 21, 22. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma 
And the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. Not going to do it again. Every living thing. Not going to do it again. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall what? Louder? Not see. Is that God's promise? So while the earth remains and the earth's in God's hands, are we supposed to worry about all this climate change? God says it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. And how many know God is smarter? Because God controls the universe, right? Now, do I believe in taking care of things? Yes, I believe in it very strongly. You know, but not the way they say it. And there will be another drastic climate change in the future, will there not? And that will be once the church is raptured, whatever lifetime that is, seven years, Jesus returns to earth, second coming, then a thousand year reign on planet earth, and at the end of the thousand years, the great white throne judgment, and then from there, Jesus will burn up everything, flame it out, that's climate change, then he'll redo everything, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness, and we will dwell in there forever and ever and ever. And that's the next climate change. So you don't have to worry about the statements, well, in 11 years, oh, in 12 years, oh, in this and that. No, you don't have to worry about any of those things. God has control of it all. Any amens of that one? Let's go eat lunch. I'm so done. No, I'm just joking. Okay, here we go. Let's get back to Joseph, okay? Because I got to do this teaching today, right? Okay, I'm going to give you the two things, and we're going to go long commentary, then point three. Number one, and that is this. Everyone is in a state of spiritual famine. Back up. You guys understood on climate change what I just said? Did that make sense? You say yes or no. I can't hear you that way. Okay, good. Okay. Everyone is in a state of spiritual famine. Look at verses, um, oh, okay, back to chapter 41, verses 53 to 55. It says this. When the seven years of plenty which had been in the land of Egypt came to an end, oh, all this rain, everything just stops, climate changes. And the seven years of famine began to come, just as Joseph had said. Then there was famine in all the lands. And in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all Egypt, Huh, go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, you shall do. Another typology, like Mary tells Jesus, uh, tells the servants about Jesus at the wedding of Cana. Whatever he says to you, what? Do it. And so you find it right here again. So typology. Now, what we have here is there is no bread. It grains run out. It's a famine. And so people are coming to buy. That's the literal truth of what's happening right there. But let's take it and let's apply it into an application for our lives today. Everyone is in a state of spiritual famine. Are they not? Everyone. If you don't understand that, let me explain it to you. Everyone is hungry and craving for something that will satisfy that inner desire in their life. Any amens? Everybody is. There's not a one that isn't. Every one of us is looking for something. The problem is most people fill that with things that will never satisfy their life. Am I right? They'll have to buy this again. They'll have to buy that again. They'll have to do this again. They'll move from one relationship to the next relationship. Then their hobby, I got to collect more. I got to collect more. And it gives us, and I'm saying not to have hobbies. Um, 
we have to, they'll have to keep finding things and doing things to give that momentary happiness in their life, correct? Now, have you noticed that marketers are smarter in that they use this reality to market to you and I to get us to try to buy their product? They'll tell us, oh, you deserve it. Oh my gosh, this will make you happy. Oh my gosh, this, this, and this. And so that's what we do. And we get in greater and greater debt. And then we buy that thing. And what happens? It, we're happy for a week. Gives us inner satisfaction for a week. But it, but it wears out, does it not? Then I got to get the next thing in my life. Now, how does that work? What's the spiritual application here? Let's, as you move into Jesus' life, in, in, in the Gospel of John, which we study on Tuesday nights, you find that Jesus is laying down uh, teaching, and they keep taking it physically, literally, and he's talking spiritually. And they're just not getting it because the natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit. They are foreign to him. Why do you think when you share with somebody, they're like, I don't get it? Because they're natural thinkers. The Spirit of God doesn't live in them yet. One day, a woman comes to Jesus. He's waiting there in Samaria by a well. And she's coming by herself at noon. And the reason she's coming by herself is shame. She'd been married five times. She's living with the man, and the townsfolk where she lived, they want nothing to do with her. At least the women don't, so she's not coming with the women. And as she comes there, and she's going to draw water, huh, what happens is Jesus and her get into a conversation. And she says to Jesus, you have nothing to draw with. You have, there's no way you can get water. And Jesus tells her this, because she's coming because she's thirsty, and you know, physical thirst. He says, lady, he who drinks of this water will thirst again. But he or she who drinks of the water that I will give them will never thirst. You'll never thirst again. It will so satisfy you. He's talking about the spiritual life. I just got, I've got to run a survey here because I have found this to be true in my life. And I didn't grow up in church, so if anybody here thinking, you grew up, I didn't grow up in church. Everything you're in, into as a non-follower of Christ, I was into. So I know your lifestyle, I know mine. And I searched for these things, I searched for things. But when I came to Christ at age 23, and you can imagine all the sins I was into by that age, and I found Jesus Christ, or he found me. I found one of the things, among multiple things, is that as I read the scriptures... And as I study these things, have you noticed how satisfying this thing is? Has anyone noticed that? Raise your hand if you know that from experience. Don't raise your hand because you're in church. Raise your hand because you know it. It is so satisfying. It's like the best meal you could eat. Jesus said, as he's, as, as he's battling Satan in Luke 4 and Matthew 4, New Testament, and he quotes from an Old Testament book, Deuteronomy 8.3. He says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He's saying, look, all the bread, all the physical things, you're not, it's not going to sustain you. This is what's going to sustain you. And it's so satisfying in life. And everybody's looking for things to fill that inner craving. But only God can fill the, the hole in a person's heart because only God was meant to dwell right there. Amen? Now, that's your first thing. Point two is this. Someone has what everyone needs. 
Someone has what everyone needs. Everybody wants bread, literally. They need food. They need grain. Now watch verse 56, 57. When the famine was spread over the face of the earth, then Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. The people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain. They come from where? All the, all the earth to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the earth. Okay, now they're coming because Joseph has what everyone needs. Does anyone remember the name that was given to Joseph when he becomes prime minister and he's given a wife? He's given an Egyptian name. Anyone remember that? I'll give it a shot. Zaphonath Paneah. Say that with me. One, two, three. Good, I'm glad you said it. Now, that name given to him means supporter of life or savior of the world. It's a great name because he is the savior of the world. He's got the grain. He's, he, he's got what everyone needs on planet earth. That's the literal. Now, the spiritual application is that we know Jesus Christ is the savior of the world, correct? And he has what everyone needs, whether people agree with it or not. He's got what everyone needs. He's God in the flesh. He's the God-man. He came to fill the hole in every person's heart if they would just let him, if they just let him. He's got it all. Now, how many of you are long-term Narconians? Raise your hand. I got to know. Raise your hand. Lo I mean long-term. I mean, it doesn't mean you're old. It just means, you know, okay, Conrad, you're old, but anyway. I'm just joking, Conrad. Okay, very few of you. Okay, let's see if some of you long-term Noconians remember this. Do you remember there was a plumbing store on the corner of 4th or 5th in Hamner? Do you remember that one? 5th? It was 5th. Okay, but you didn't raise your hand. Did you, Tim? Roll back the tape. No, I'm just joking. Okay, this place, it was called Save More Plumbing. Am I right? Save More? Yeah, Thumbs up, comment. Okay, good. So what it was, it was a small little plumbing store. If you ever went in there, it was jam-packed with stuff. If you went to the big box store and you couldn't find something that you're looking for, a certain item, for a plumbing item, and if it didn't have it at a big box store, where would you go? Save more plumbing. Because you knew that Save More Plumbing, this little store on the corner of 5th Street, 5th and Hamner, would have what you needed. And yeah, you walk in there, and I go, I need this. Oh, it's right here. And they had it. And they had it. They had what everyone needed. That's exactly what Jesus Christ is. He is what everyone on the planet needs. He is the Savior of the whole world. Now watch Jesus gets into this discussion with the, with, um, with the people in John chapter 6, New Testament recorded story. Jesus, they want more bread from Jesus because what has Jesus already done? Multiplied bread. And so they want to see if they can trick Jesus into more bread. How many know you can't trick God in the flesh? Right? But you know, they're going to give it a shot. They go, well, you know, Moses gave us bread. You know, do that and we'll believe you. And it's like, really? I just did that. Now watch what Jesus says to them. He says, Jesus said to them, I am. There's, the, there's one of the signs, the seven signs. I am. It's the I am statement. He is the I am, the tetragrammatron, the four letters, the YHWH, Yahweh. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. Whoa. 
They're looking for literal bread. He says, he who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will what? Never thirst. Ah, in other words, he's saying, I have what everyone needs. I am the thirst quencher. I am the one that will satisfy your inner desire. I'm the only one that can do that. I am that I am. I am the Savior. I have what everyone needs. Now, now that we've got that, hold those two thoughts till we get to point three. Now I get to have fun and do 24 verses of commentary to fill in the gaps on the story. You guys ready for that? Because I really love doing this, and hopefully you love it too. And hopefully this whets your appetite to read your Bible at home, to study this thing. Now, look at verse 42. Here we go. Here's the story. Everybody's coming to buy bread, the whole world. Now, who does the whole world include? His brothers. It's been 20 years since they sold him into slavery. 20 years. Verse 1, chapter 42. Now, Jacob, Jacob is Joseph's father who doesn't know Joseph is alive. Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, and Jacob said to his sons, now he's going to talk to his boys. Here's a great statement. Why are you staring at one another? He said, behold, meaning look, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us from that place so that we may live and not die. How many know that's very logical? How many know that you, the brothers, he says, why are you staring at each other? How many know that some people, when crisis or situations arise, they grow, they get paralyzed by their situations? Raise your hand if you know that. And they don't know what to do. And some people get paralyzed for years, if not decades, if not the rest of their life, and they get stuck. Why are you standing there looking at each other? Question, who is the one telling that to the sons? What is the relationship to the, of them? What is he? He's, what is he? He's a father. Oh, do we need fathers in the home? How many dads know every so often you got to straighten out your kids? Raise your hand if you know that. I'll raise both my feet and both my hands. I'll shake my nose on that one, man. You know that. We need dads and homes, do we not? This is the crisis in America. They throw all these symptoms at us. Say, oh, it's this and no. Those are symptoms. They will not tell you about the root cause. It's fatherless homes. And we have a father in the home right here. And he's telling his boys, would you quit looking at each other? It'd be like saying, get up, get a job, go do something, quit wasting your time, get out and make something with your life. Go do it. Amen to that one? You need dads for that. Man, dad, you come in. You're the strong one. You come in, man. You come in tough, okay? Now, and never be afraid of your children, right? If you're a little kid, your teenager, whatever, says, oh, I hate you. I always tell my kids, well, great. I still love you. I don't hate you. I go, why would you hate me? Look at dad. I look how good looking I am. No, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> Never let your kids intimidate you. Never do that. Because they're, they're manipulators. Are they not? <laughs> boy, boy, we, we got some amens on them. I, I know not you, okay? I know not you, because you're shaking your head. That's impossible, because you're too nice. I get it. Okay. I can come over there right now. No, I'm just joking. Okay, now, let's move on. Verse, verse 3. The, then ten brothers of Joseph went down to buy grain for me. Oh, no. They're going to Egypt, and they haven't seen Brother Joe in 20 years. They don't know he's alive. They don't know anything about him. Verse 4. But Jacob, Jacob is the father of them all, did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin. Benjamin literally means son of my right hand with his brothers, and he, for he said, I am afraid that harm may befall him. Stop. Why doesn't he want to send Benjamin? 
Because Benjamin is the baby of the 12. He's the 12th of 12 sons. He is Joseph, who is number 11 in the order. Joseph and Benjamin are full blood brothers. They have the, the, only, they have the same mama. And their mama was Rachel. Rachel is the woman that dad Jacob truly loved. She was the one. He was tricked into marrying the sister Leah first by the father of the girls because that was the custom to marry the eldest first. He was tricked. But he loved Rachel. Rachel died giving birth to Benjamin. You think there's any emotion attached there? You think there's any feelings attached there? He don't want to, I, I can't lose Benjamin. I, I can't. So you're not taking Benjamin. Remember that. Because this becomes key in the story. Verse, verse 5. So the sons of Israel came to buy grain among those who were coming. For the famine was in the land of Canaan also. Canaan is modern day Israel. That's where they came from. So they're coming from there. The famine's there. It's a big famine. Verse 6. Now Joseph was the ruler over the land. That's a brother they sold to slavery. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and louder. Oh, no. No, they didn't. And bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. They don't know it's him. Why is that statement so big? What was the dream? Back in Genesis 37, what was the dream? The first dream of the two. Joseph had a dream that his brothers would bow down to him. Oh, no, they didn't. Oh, my gosh. The fulfillment of the dream right before Joseph's eyes. We'll say something about that in a second. Now, watch verse 7 and 8. Then Joseph saw his brothers. He recognized them. 20 years go by. And he goes, I know these guys. <laughs> but he disguised himself. He didn't put on a clown costume, so don't think like that. I'll tell you what it is saying. Disguised himself to them, and he spoke to them harshly. You think he's got a little bit of anger in him? Yeah. Oh, there's some feelings there. And he said to them, where have you come from? He's going to grill them, guys. And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. Canaan, like I said, modern-day Israel. We've come to buy food. This is our motive, our motivation, our intent. We, we came to buy food. But Joseph had recognized his brothers, although they did not recognize him. Now, let's talk about they're not recognizing him. Why? Well, Joseph dresses like an Egyptian. Remember, I told you last week, he walked sideways. Remember that? Okay. It's, you know, it's the whole Egyptian culture. And, and so, Egyptians were very clean-shaven. The Hebrew shepherds' beards. It's a whole different look. Now, do you really think, after 20 years selling them into slavery, do you really think they expected to find their brother being second in command of the most powerful empire at the time? There's no way. Do you even think they thought he was alive? No. So there's no way they think this is their brother. There's no, it cannot be our brother. So they do not recognize Joseph. Okay, let me give you a modern day illustration of this. Now, um, every Thursday morning, pretty much every Thursday morning, uh, my son-in-law Peter, he brings his two daughters, um, my granddaughters, Willa, who's going to be three on Wednesday, and Scotty, uh, I call her Scotty, she's, she's like a year and a half, and they come to the office. And you know, if you know when your grandkids come to the office, you lose stuff. <laughs> they just take stuff. And, and it's the cutest thing, and of course, you'll never see that again. 
Well, I have this basketball. It's like this big in my office because I have a little basket over my door. I have my floor looks like a basketball court. The colors are blue. Everything's like a UCLA color basketball court theme. UCLA basketball, it's kind of like the only sport I follow. And um, so she comes, she goes, mm, and she points to the ball. So, of course, like a good granddad, I get her the ball. Here you go. She gets the ball. She walks out. She's about this tall. She walks out. About a minute later, she comes back in. I take the ball. But I know the way it works now. I take the ball. I count to about two. I got to give her the ball back. She takes the ball. She walks out of the office. And this goes on repeatedly. Well, about three weeks ago, she walked out with the ball. I took my glasses off, and I was cleaning my glasses. She walks in with the ball, and she sees me with my glasses off. <laughs> Drops the ball and runs out of the office. <laughs> Is it, is it that different? <laughs> hey, guys. The first six years of this church, I didn't need glasses. Anyone remember that? 25 years and I've been wearing glasses, okay? Now, um, you don't have to react like that either. That really hurt my feelings. Okay, so uh, I know I'm getting old. I got it, okay? So she was terrified. She didn't recognize me at all. Well, that's what's happening here. They don't recognize him. He just looks different. And like I said, they didn't expect him to be alive. Now, let's read on in the story. Now, watch verse 9. Watch verse 9. Joseph remembered the dreams, plural, because it was two, which he had about them and said to them, you are spies. He's going to grill them, guys. You have come to look at the undefended parts of our land. Here's what I want to ask you. If you're Joseph, 20 years have gone by. The dream happened back in Genesis chapter 37, the dreams. And the brothers are here, and they've bowed down to you. And you remember the dreams. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? Oh my gosh. The dream came to pass. The first one, anyway. 20 years. And the dream happened. I have a question for you. Has anyone here ever had a vision or dream that you really felt from God and you asked for it and then you forgot all about it? It came to pass, you forgot what you had asked for, but it came to pass, then years later, whatever, you remembered, hey, I asked for that over here, came to my here, and I'd forgotten about that, but God did it. Anyone? Raise your hand. I'm just curious. I had one like that that I can remember. I remember I was in sixth grade. And um, it was like 1998 or 9. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so you can do math, can't you? <laughs> well, uh, the other times, I, I don't know, you know. Okay, so 1967 or 68. Okay. I was waiting for the... <laughs> um, thank you. Um, <laughs> And so I got bussed across town uh, because I was like a smart kid, a gate kid, you know. Yeah, but I got bussed across town for that. And so uh, and that's where I'm, and I went to a different elementary school in sixth grade, and I met a lot of my best friends for life at that elementary school. And I remember 
that um, one time during that school year of 68, 69, um, or 67, 68, I remember thinking to myself, I want to live on this street when I'm older. I really like this street. And I forgot all about that. Flash forward in my life, we were living right here on Auburndale Street. Olivia desires to move. She wants a, a bigger kitchen to entertain, and she sacrificed her whole life to let me fulfill the dreams of God in my life, so of course. So we sell, and we buy a house across town, and we go in there. That was 1999, and it was about 2004. I don't remember if I was, when I still could jog and run through the streets, or if I was walking up the street or taking a walk. I remember sitting there, and it was brought back to my memory. It's like the Holy Spirit said, and I'm standing in front of that elementary school walking home, and she said, do you remember, Jim, when you were a kid here in elementary school, remember you said, I want to live on this street one day? That's right. I forgot all about that. And now you live on this street. So you guys, God does that. I didn't do anything. I had nothing to do with that. God does that. They have these, these desires in our heart that God can fulfill. And we forget about them. And yet God brings them to pass. And we forgot that we asked for that, but he brings it to pass. And then we remember after the fact, oh, that's right. That was a desire of mine. Look what God did. And I remembered. Joseph, it says, he remembered. He remembered the dream. And I think for him, it must have blown him out of the water. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, God. What you said has come to pass. Now look at verse 10. Then they said to him, No, my Lord. Remember, he accused them of being what? Spies. Okay, good. No, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. So, no, we, we're not spies. We just came to buy some food. We're hungry. We are all sons of one man. Oh, okay. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. Now they say we're honest men. So the question for Joseph is what? Are you really honest men? Do you, do you think Joseph thinks they're honest men? There's no way. Are you kidding me? He's probably thinking, you bunch of liars. Look at verse uh, 12. Verse 12, is that where I'm at? Yeah, verse 12. Yet he said to them, no, but you have come to look at the undefended parts of our land. In other words, you're spies. But they said, remember they say we're honest men, but they said, your servants are 12 brothers in all. Is that true? Yes. Okay, so far, you're being honest. There's 12 of you. There were anyway. We're the sons of one man. Is that true? Yeah, it is. Okay, that's true. Okay. In the land of Canaan. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. Okay. Behold, the youngest, that's Benjamin, is with our father today. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. Okay. And one is no more. Joseph knows that's meaning him. Is that true? It's certainly, yeah, even though Joseph is alive, they think he's dead. So they're being honest. So Joseph's going, okay. They are being honest. And they don't know Joseph is the prosecuting attorney in the whole situation. Okay. But now what does Joseph know? Joseph now knows that my youngest brother, Ben, is still alive. They didn't kill him like they killed me because we were the sons of Rachel. I now know that my father is still alive. I now know these things. Now, verse 14. Joseph said to them, it is as I said to you, you are spies. He's, he's, he pushes the pedal harder. 
we're going to press them harder now. You are spies. By this, you will be tested. In other words, we're going to throw a little test at you, see if you're telling the truth. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Oh, no. Who doesn't dad want to send to Egypt? Benjamin. Oh, no, 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 no. We can't. We can't bring him. Your brother, he's going to come here. Verse 16. Send one of you that he may get your brother while you remain confined. By the way, why do you think Joseph wants the younger brother to come? Let's see if he really is still alive. Send one that he may while you remain confined. That your words may be tested whether there is truth in you. Does Joseph believe they're honest men? No. But if not, by the life of Pharaoh, you are spies. Verse 17. So he put them all together in prison for three days. Do you think Joseph kind of liked that? Give him a little taste of what they did to him. They're lucky that Joseph didn't give him a full taste of it, right? He spent 13 years that way. He's going to give him three days. Now Joseph said to them on the third day, Do this and live, for I fear God. For those of you who like a little bit deeper stuff, here's what's amazing. The word Joseph uses for God is a Hebrew word, Elohim. It's the same word used in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. It's the Hebrew God, the one God. Now, why is that interesting? Because Joseph, they think Joseph is um, Zephanath Panea. They think he's Egyptian. Polytheism, multiple gods. But he says, no, I believe in Elohim. Now, do you think that'd be shocking to them? You better believe it's shocking to them. It's like, it throws it kind of off balance. It's like, what? Now, let's look at verse 19. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined in your prison. In other words, one of you stay in here. But as for the rest of you, go carry grain for the famine of your household. One stays here in prison, the rest of you go take food back. In other words, this is because they want to make sure Benjamin and dad are taken care of. And bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified. I'm going to check, make sure you're honest. And you will not die. And they did so. Now, here it comes. Then they said to one another, now they're going to talk amongst themselves. Truly we are guilty concerning our brother. Who is the brother they're talking about? Who is it? Joseph, the very one who's standing before them. They don't know it's him. Truly we are guilty concerning our brother because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us. Now we know Joseph was pleading. Please, get me out of this pit. Please, don't sell me off. Please. Yet we would not listen. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. In other words, this has come back to us because of what we did. Now watch this, verse 22. Reuben, he's the oldest of the twelve. Answer them. Now they're still talking amongst themselves. He answered them saying, did I not tell you, because Judah was the ringleader to sell off Joseph, did I not tell you, do not sin against the boy, and you would not listen. So now we find out they wouldn't listen to Joseph, and they didn't listen to Reuben. Now comes the reckoning for his blood. Verse 23. Here's the funny. Here's what makes it funny. They did not know, however, that Joseph understood, for there was an interpreter between them. Now here's... They're dialoguing among themselves, sharing all this stuff. Joseph's sitting there, looking Egyptian. You know the whole thing. He's got an interpreter. 
Joseph speaks the Egyptian language to him. He interprets it into Hebrew for them. They answer back in Hebrew. He interprets it back to Egyptian so Joseph can understand. But what's funny is this. Can Joseph understand Egyptian and Hebrew? You better believe it. And so he just... He understands it all. He knows what's going on. But now something comes to light. The first thing we see is this. Take it from a salvation perspective. Are they now becoming fully aware and confessing that they have sinned against their brother? You cannot come to the Savior unless you become aware that you are a sinner, me too, and we confess our sins to Jesus Christ and He forgives us. There's got to be an awareness, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have to become aware that we're sinners. Of course, God forgives, 1 John 1, 9. If I confess my sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Everything, everything, everything. Now, we know that's coming to pass. <clears throat> but here's what I want to bring out in this thing right here. <clears throat> um, Joseph now knows that Reuben tried to save him. Joseph didn't know that for 20 years. My oldest brother tried to save me. Now let's, let's just quickly, how many times have we thought something negative about a person and it turned out to be not true? I can only imagine what Joseph thought about Reuben, the oldest, who's the most responsible because that's the way it was in those families culturally. Reuben didn't stand up for me. He didn't stop the brothers. Now we find out he did. Now we find out he did. And that's going to shake Joseph up. Now he finds that out. But here's the thing I want to show you. When it comes to the brothers and their sin, question, has 20 years of time washed away their guilt? You could try to do all kinds of stuff, buy stuff, do this, get yourself occupied. It will not wash away the guilt of sin. Just, it doesn't go away because it's a root. These are roots. Only the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, can wash away our sins through the blood of Jesus. Let me reiterate from last week. Has 20 years washed away Joseph's pain? Let's see. Look at verse 23. They did not know, however, that Joseph understood there was an interpreter between them. Verse 24. He went away from them and wept. Does it wash it away? Does his pain wash away from 20 years? Does time eliminate our pain from the past? No, because of the roots. But when he returned to them and spoke to them, he took Simeon from them and bound him before them. He's going to keep Simeon in, in a little jail, and he's going to send them back. Time has not washed away Joseph's pain. So the question with Joseph is, is he going to forgive his brothers? We're going to find that out next week in the last chapter on this whole thing. But I like what C.S. Lewis once said. He said, you know, forgiveness is a great idea until we have to forgive someone. Isn't it true? Oh, it's a great, oh, I believe in forgiveness. You got to forgive them. I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> it's a great idea until you have to do it. So you have to do it. Now, so the stage is set. Now, let me drive it home now. Verse, no, verse 3, or point 3. The, the last thought, go back to the gold. Will I open my storehouse and give people what they need? Will I do that? Now, look at verses 25 through 28. It says this. Then Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to restore every man's money in his sack. 
and to give them provisions for the journey. And thus it was done for them. So did Joseph give them the money back? They don't know that though. Verse 26. So they loaded their donkey with their grain and departed from there. As one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place. So it's a long trip. So there's overnight stay. They open up the sack. <gasps> Our money's still there. Behold, it was in the mouth of his sack. Verse 28. Then he said to his brothers, My money has been returned, and behold, it is even in my sack. And their hearts sank. Wouldn't you be terrified? This guy's powerful. He accuses of spies, and the money's in our sack. And they turned trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? Oh, man, would you like to have been there? See that one? Now, <clears throat> Joseph gives the money back. Joseph's the savior of the world. They pay him. Nope. I don't want the money. I just give you the provision. It's free. Okay, it's free. We have gold. The man in the opening story buried two bars of gold in his backyard. Will I open my storehouse? Joseph opened the storehouse. The man buried two bars of gold. Let me give you two bars of gold that you and I have as followers of Christ. And will we open our storehouse to give it to people? That's the question. The first one is our testimony. Every one of us has something that God has transformed in our life. Am I right? That's your testimony. And you need to share your testimony when the opportunity opens up. Remember SALT, S-A-L-T. That's how you do it. Start the conversation, S. A, answer the questions. L, listen. Let's just listen to them. And then finally T, tell them your story. Tell them your testimony of what God has done. Because your testimony and my testimony are very, they are, it's, an, they're, it's invasive. Has anyone ever had a procedure that's invasive? They get in there, don't they? We don't want to know the details, but they get in there. That's the same thing with our testimony. It's invasive. It gets in there. It gets in there and it rattles around in people. Every one of us has a testimony. Uh, you know mine. I, I grew up in an alcoholic home. You don't know how many adult children of alcoholics God brings to me. It's incredible. Because that's what I came from. And I get to share these things. And it opens doors for me. You have your own unique things that you've been through that God will use in your life. But here's the bigger bar of gold. Did they pay for the food? The answer is yes. But did they really pay for the food? The answer is no. Because Joseph would not take the money. They got free grain from the person they sinned against. From the person they sinned against. That's called grace, isn't it? That God gives us grace. What's grace? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, please. It says, for by grace, this is Paul recording this New Testament, it says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. In other words, as Christians, we know that God has just graced us. We couldn't earn it. We couldn't earn any of the salvation. Am I right? How many of you, be honest, because grace is a gift. Be honest, when somebody gives you a gift, you instantly feel like you've got to do something for them or buy them something. Raise your hand. I'm just curious. See, that's not grace. Because you feel like you've got to do something back. I serve God not because I have to do something back. I come to worship not because I have to do something back. I come because I love God. Man, I understand what he's done for me. There's no pressure that I have to do stuff. 
I want to do stuff. That's a whole different way of approach to Christianity, is it not? So God gives me grace. Now, here's the thing. Let me, can I share with you a stupid Jim Del Campo story? Close it. That's the only kind I know. Grace. Because some of us, as a Christian, you feel like, I don't know if God's forgiven me. I don't know. And you feel like when you mess up, I got to work for it. I got to do something. But if you're here and you're not a follower of Christ, I want you to understand grace. Because remember, he didn't let them pay for it. And they sinned against him. That's the grace of God to us. Okay, so um, my son Nathan and his wife, um, they sold their home and they came to live with us for a month. And now they moved in their house Friday. And they have... um, Lincoln, who's um, going to be two next month, uh, and she's like everywhere at the same time. It's like, slow down. And then there's Nolan, who's seven months. And you know, when you're seven months, she's like, <laughs> you know what I mean, right? That's about it. And, and they left Friday, they moved their house, and it's sad because me and Nolan, seven months, would sit down and watch Jeopardy every night. And now Nolan's gone. Who's going to watch? And Nolan liked watching Jeopardy. He never said that, but I could tell. But they're gone. On Thursday morning, and I, and, I, and, and I loved this, I would come down in the morning, and there they would be. I'm ready to go to work, and, and I would chase Lincoln around, and then I'd pick up Nolan and the whole shot. And there's Nolan on the ground on his little play area and I pick up Nolan seven months and I'm holding him and he's doing this and I go you love granddaddy right granddaddy's a favorite I get it I got it Nolan and I about two minutes I go did Nolan pee? she goes well I pull him away from me he's got a big old wet spot here above his diaper I look at my shirt, big old wet spot. <laughs> right on, I got a pee spot on me. All right, okay. And I said, Nolan, you're a bad boy. No, I didn't do that. But here's what I said. Here's what I said. I said, Nolan, you can pee on granddaddy anytime. <laughs> I'm okay with it. Because granddaddy loves you. There ain't nothing you could do to make me mad. Amen. Just pee on me, man. Now listen. If a fragmented, dysfunctional guy like myself can do that for his grandchild, how much more Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, do that for everybody? He didn't take your pee on him. Jesus took your sins and mine on him. He took the stain of it all. And he loves everybody. And you need to remember that as a follower of Christ. He carried your sins on the cross. We all peed on him, guys. And you may think as a non-follower of Christ, well, I've done some bad things and I've hurt people. How can I come to Jesus Christ? Fine, you can come to him. He'll take it all on his body, on that cross. He took it all because he loves you because he loves you. It's called grace. It's called grace. And I hope you remember that. And I hope you take that with you. Amen. Let's pray. Father.
thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Now, if you're sitting here, if you're not a follower of Christ, remember, it's the grace of God. That's Jesus come down to us because we couldn't go up to him. He's the God-man. He's Yahweh, God in the flesh. Come to save mankind, Savior of the world. He opened up the storehouse of salvation for us. And it doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter. He still loves you, and he wants you. Isn't that amazing? He wants you. And you can search high and low to try to fill the inner cravings. You'll never fill it. Only the Spirit of God can do that. Only salvation in Jesus can do that. He who drinks of anything of this world will thirst again, but he who drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. I want to give you an opportunity. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, today's the day. Put your faith in him. Let the Spirit of God come to live in you. Receive the grace of God. Let God forgive you of your sins. Become a follower of Christ. Or if you backslid, you know where you're standing with God. Time to get back, man. Come on, let's get it on. Let's get it going. Time to follow Christ. There's no time to play anymore. It's time to be a committed follower of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him, Jesus said. So if you'd like to put your faith in Christ for the, for the first time and follow Him for the rest of your life or rededicate your life, I want you to do one thing. I want you to open up your eyes right where you're at. Look up at me. I'm going to look back at you here in a second. And when our eyes meet, you can close them. Do this as a sign between you, me, and God. Do it right now. Do it right now. God bless you. God bless. God bless. God bless you. 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 And God bless. God bless you. Now, those who looked up at me, I want you to repeat this prayer. Everyone's going to repeat it with you. You're not by yourself. You're not alone. But as you repeat it, you simply put your faith in the only true God, Jesus Christ, the God-man, who came to earth, took on a body to be the substitute for you and I on that cross, taking our punishment. And he opens the door to salvation through his blood and resurrection. So repeat after me, those who looked up at me, and everyone say it with them. Here we go. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. And I know I'm forgiven. Thank you for your grace. Today I place my faith in you. I believe in you as the Messiah, the only God, my Savior, the Savior of the world. I choose to follow you for the rest of my days. Thank you for saving me. Now allow me to pray for you. God, I pray for everyone that looked up, friends. 
I urge you strongly. I pray for you. You've got to follow up now. You, you can't play games with God. Start reading the Bible. If you don't have one, in the lobby at the Welcome Center, they'll give you a free one. Read in the New Testament. Stay in the New Testament. Read about your Savior because you're a New Testament believer. If you need to talk to somebody, there'll be prayer partners afterwards on my left or right. They'll be glad to talk to you. Begin to share with others that you're a Christian now. Make a stand. If you don't stand in the beginning, you're just not going to stand. Know that the Spirit of God lives in you now. The Spirit that created the universe. Know that your sins are washed away. Every one of them. And that you are a child of the living God. What an amazing conversion of identity. You are God's kid. Thank you, Jesus, for this day. Thank you that all of heaven rejoices over people who repent and come to you. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen, amen and amen. Would you stand up with me, everybody? If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCCNorco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.